Shall we begin? Let's begin now. This is Maya Moore, and you're listening to Dishin' and Swishin'. Hey everybody, it's David Siegel welcoming you to Edition and Swishing Podcast where we are back on to the WNBA and it is postseason time, one of everybody's favorite times of the year and I've got two of the very best people that I know to discuss the postseason and the way that it's set up and the games that are coming up this week and those are Michelle Vopel from ESPNW and ESPN. Hi, Michelle. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. It's always great to talk to you. And the AP's own Doug Feinberg. Doug, welcome back, too. Thanks, David. Good to be back, as always. So let, let's talk, first of all, I, I want to talk for a second about the format here, because I, I'm looking at things, and we've discussed this before, all of us have, and I've been pretty clear, I, I don't really care about the first round being single elimination, but the second round with the three and four seeds being a single elimination game, I've said need to be a series. Uh, my theory that I want to put, my my question for you guys is, if someone like a Phoenix, granted at least they finished fifth this year, if Phoenix or Seattle goes in and wins that second round game... You know, to me, that kind of almost makes a little bit of a mockery of the season. We're turning it into the college football bowls uh, in the fact that, you know, you can you can miss games as long as you just qualify, then don't worry about it. There's no reward to the Connecticut Sun and New York Liberty like there was no this, – this in part because this would be two years in a row that it happens. Doug, do you think that I'm right on the right track here or, you know, am I totally off base? I agree 100% with what you said, and it happened last year, and New York had one playoff game and lost to Phoenix, Um, and conversely, if if Phoenix had lost that game, they would have had two playoff games and not had any at home with arguably the best fan base for their home game, so I think you're right. I think they should tweak it. I think they should go two out of three um, for that second round, and I think it would be more exciting, or would be as exciting, I should say, and would be great for everybody, because then... The lower seeds actually potentially would get a home game, which I think is fair if a six or seven or eight advances out of the first round. Um, I used to say a seven or eight advances out of the first round. Um, I just think it's the right thing to do. But unfortunately, um, it seems the ones that make those decisions are the place that Michelle works for um, with the TV money that comes in. And I don't begrudge him for making the choice. It's exciting. I mean, everyone loves the NCAA tournaments, one in, one loss and you're out theory. But I just think it's better for a professional league to have a two out of three for that second round. Michelle, what do you think? Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. And for what it's worth, being uh, on the uh, <laughs> the writing side, nobody asked me what I think uh, uh, at ESPN about uh, what they're going to do um, TV-wise or, you know, or, or what the setup is like. So I can sort of understand the sort of the frustration people probably have um, with is this the best system. I think what bothers all of us is just what you guys have articulated already, which is those those first round games, if those are one and done, you know, you can sort of justify that. But the second round is is more, um, you know, the problem. And so that would be if they were going to keep the system, the best of the system. I think that would be the best answer is to have the, you know, the first round games be 
single elimination, then a three-game series, then a five and a five. And who knows, maybe one day we'll all live long enough that it's a seven-game series for that last one. I'm not holding my breath, but, but that would be fun, too. Now, the other thing in particular when I was looking at it would be if Phoenix did it again. Now, Seattle, Dallas, and Washington didn't have anybody take any games off. You know, Phoenix, you know, you, Diana sat out two or three games this year just for rest. Now, if Phoenix wins those games, then they're suddenly, you know, a possible four seed. Instead, they lose those games, and, you know, it doesn't matter. You know, if they go out and they win two games in a row on the road, you know, they, they you know, so to me, that that's almost encouraging that, to make sure that they're fresh at the end of the year. Now, Seattle yesterday, I can't begrudge them sitting out super going into the playoffs because it didn't matter. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen Kurt Miller sit out some of the Sun players too, uh, sit or at least rest part of the game. But I think that if, in particular, if Phoenix it happens to, then definitely I think that that shows it even more. The other thing looking at the schedule that I looked at, again, Doug, this goes back to what you're saying and the way that the worldwide leader is dealing with things is game one, you know, the first round is the sixth. And the second is the tenth, so we've got four days in between, and then the start of the semifinals is the twelfth. So there's one travel day off in between, and it, they could easily move round two to the ninth and make it three days in between each. But that would be putting ESPN in college in college football territory. So uh, Michelle, we're, we're going to end up sitting with a really tight, ridiculously. Uh, difficult schedule from that aspect too because of the way things are set up yeah i think that's not that's not ideal um and again i'm not i'm not punning that question i just i think the decisions are made based on ratings based on things that you know how they think everything fits in but i'm not really i'm really not a spokesperson for on the television side you know that those decisions oh yeah no I no i'm just asking them, your opinion you know, no please just, I, the, yeah this is just I, about I your opinion because um, I think those decisions, you know, get made for a variety of reasons that, um, you know, it's just they, they just do. And I, I guess I maybe have just gotten grown used to it, kind of like the whole idea of players playing overseas. At some point, it, you know, things aren't ideal, but they are, you know, they are what they are. Heck, we all know that the, you know, with the national championship in college, they used to play the semifinals and the finals on back-to-back days, you know, because of television. In that case, it was CBS. So I think TV, unfortunately, in all sports, has had, you know, a, a negative impact along with a positive impact. And most of it is usually, like, travel or the late start of things. And I, I just, I think that's just, that's how it is. Yeah, well, I mean, and Michelle, hold on one sec, Doug. First of all, Michelle, believe me, we know that you're not the, you're not at fault on this one. <laughs> we know, we, we know that. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, in particular, just to add with the travel, part of what concerns me about it. Now, granted, Washington is Washington Dallas is going to be local to East Coast before going into the next games, but then somebody is going to end up going back out from either Connecticut or New York to Los Angeles with one game, one day off. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I was say also about the schedule. I mean, I give ESPN credit. They're, they're airing every game, and it's great that they're doing that. But you potentially have, if New York and Connecticut make it to that next round, you have them playing a doubleheader for, I think, game three and four, and one of them's going to be on a Tuesday night. 
So you have a game potentially on the East Coast starting at 9 or 9.30, which is not great for fans. I mean, I don't think that you have Connecticut or New York fans that want to be at the Garden or at Mohegan Sun starting at 9.30 on a Tuesday night for a game, which just I think may hurt the atmosphere a little bit for either of them, which, again, having double headers makes that a problem. But that said, I mean, look, they're pros. They're used to this. It's not ideal. If it gives the top team a little more of an advantage, I mean, they had great seasons. They deserve it. But it's sort of the hand they have. And I think a coach told me last year at GM that they couldn't change it this year yet. It's got to be next year they could change it in a different format. So maybe we'll see something different next year, or maybe the two out of three, or maybe an extra day of rest in between somewhere. Well, Doug, you put a 930 game in Connecticut, you eliminate 95% of the fan base because they're either under 10 or over 70. So uh, we're going to definitely have a problem with a 930 game there. Unless they move, unless they can slide the early bird back <laughs> at the buffet. <laughs> so. All right, so let's talk games. Uh, they are fun games. There's no question about it that we got some really neat playoff games to get things started. And you know, five, five and six, Phoenix jumped over Washington in the last game of the season to take that five seed and set up the old Diana Taurasi versus Sue Bird match which is always great theater, if nothing else. So, uh, Doug, we'll let you get started. You know, what do you think of that match? That matchup? Griner, Stewart, Bird, Tarasi, there is some definite star power in that series. There definitely is. And actually the one who may determine who wins it is Jewel Lloyd, who's just torched Phoenix all season long. So I think it's going to be – I mean, look, that's a great matchup. You have star power. You have um, really, really good – um, I think matchups there, you have the best player in the league as far as offense goes this year with Griner and her scoring. You have obviously the, the assassin, the one player you'd want, um, not have to face in a one game elimination, Diana Taurasi. So, I mean, you have a lot of really good storylines and a lot of really good players in that game. And I probably have to flip a coin later tonight when I have to pick it and figure out who's going to win it. Um, but I'd probably give the home team an advantage. But wow, that is going to be a hell of a first round game, I think. Well, I believe – did I read correctly that the home team is not going to be in their home arena for this one, that they're going to be playing at Arizona State? That's correct, yes. Yeah, the Wells Fargo Arena. Which which is good news and bad news. The good news being that it will be packed and loud. The bad news is that it's another displaced game. Yeah. That's another so, so thing that you... just happens. You know, I mean, that's going to happen. I mean, that's that's happened almost every – well, I won't say every, but it happens a lot, you know, just because yes. these are huge facilities that have guaranteed money that could come in from concerts or other events. And, um, you know, that's – money, is, money uh, makes those decisions. You know, and that, this one's a little bit strange because there's some – if I read correctly, I think there's some big Marvel event over the weekend – and they need to start setting up on Wednesday, so that's why uh, that's why the game can't be held there. So blame blame Spider Man. <laughs> you know. So so Michelle, what are your thoughts on that series? Um, yeah, I thought Doug uh, really wrapped that up in terms of saying also, you know, what he said about Jewel Lloyd. I think is a key. I think I'm still leaning toward Phoenix on this because as Diana Trazzi's sort of been, you know, she's been a little up and down. I mean, her numbers are good, but, you know, she's had the rest, and there have been times when I think, you know, she doesn't seem as engaged as you might think that she would, but I have a feeling for this game she probably will. And um, I, I still feel like Seattle is, 
you know, a team that's missing a part, and I'm not 100% sure what that part is. Maybe it's, you know, one more really, you know, good score, uh, even though they have a lot of them or several of them. Um, but I, I think I'm leaning towards Phoenix to pull this, to pull this off. I, gla- I like what Carolyn Swords has given them in the last few games, really since Klopp took over as coach. Uh, she's, he's been more, he's been more using the bench, using the bench more, uh, and in better places, it seems, than, uh, Jenny was doing. And I think that she's gonna be needed to stay on the court some with Brittany being the dominant force that she is. Uh, so I, I think that'll help them a bit, but, you know, I like the way that Phoenix has put together some of their pieces now. I like the lineup change with Curry and Robinson coming off the bench together. I think that's a nice combination. And, you know, Seattle seems to still be a little that you're right, that there's something missing there. Uh, Alicia Clark has been playing phenomenal since Kloppenberg took over. Uh, and like you mentioned, Jewel has certainly owned Phoenix so far this year, but, you know, 35-year-old Diana, you know, as she told me, you know, I can't do the things I used to do when I asked her why she doesn't drive anymore. Uh, I think that we'll see some of the old Diana back in this series. It's money time now. So uh, I, I think that Phoenix will be tough to beat there. And uh, that would probably that would most likely bring them to Connecticut. That would bring them to Connecticut, I believe, by in the next round. Uh, the other game, Dallas and Washington – you know, nobody's talked about Fred Williams and the job he's done there, but Fred has done quite a job putting together pieces that didn't seem like they were going to fit at all or be ready. Uh, Michelle, how, you know, you're the Midwesterner there. Have you, uh, gotten a chance to go see Dallas or see a little bit more of them than we have on the East Coast that are just using league, the league past? Yeah, I have seen them a, a little bit. Um, what I would say with that is that the one thing Fred's really known for is he's a player's coach, and I mean that in a good way, uh, that I think he understands his players. He, you know, can he's very flexible in terms of if he's got a veteran team or he's got a young team. Obviously, in this case, he's got a very young team. And I think that probably has worked with this young group. But then you just look at what Skyler, Skyler Diggins-Smith has done. She has a good relationship with Fred, and I think she has really come into her own as a leader this year, and I think that's been a, a big key for them, along with, the, obviously, the athleticism and, and drive of, of Gloria Johnson, um, you know, at the forward position. Doug, you know, one of the things that's impressed me is the way that Glory has played this year. I, I was – Starting to, I thought that last after last season she could go in either direction with her career, either up, continue to build on it and be a success, or she could start to slip because of just the way she plays and to an extent her attitude on the court. But she has continued to grow and step up her game. I think. Yeah, I agree. She's had a wonderful season. I mean, this was kind of at a crossroads, and, and she really improved. And I think she fits that system well. I mean, they love to run the floor. They love to get out. And she does that very well. And she has a little bit of the toughness uh, around her, I think, on the defensive end that helps them a little bit because they are young. They are inexperienced. But I've really been impressed with the way she's played this year, and I think they're a fun team to watch. I mean, they're, they're, they run the floor well. They're exciting, obviously, as Michelle said, Skylar Diggins-Smith is the sort of the, the goal button for them. And I think they could actually pull off a nice win uh, in Washington uh, on Wednesday. No, wow. Well, let's talk about that Washington team. 
you know, what seems to me when I watch them is I still, granted there were so many injuries and so many missed games for different reasons with that team and key parts, but they just don't seem fluid still. They still seem like they're, they're a bunch of people put on the court. They're not a team when I watch them. Uh, Doug, is that any any validity to that argument? There is, and, and, you know, I think part of it isn't actually their fault because they've had so many injuries. They've had uh, Emma missed for the no basket, so they haven't had the whole team together for probably more than, like, two weeks on the court, and that's the problem. I mean, you can't get a team together or have a chemistry going the right way without your players there healthy, and I think that's a big part of it. They're still kind of finding themselves. I mean, everyone thought coming into the season, wow, they have all this talent now. They've got Tolliver. They've got Deladon, all these great additions, but it takes – a little bit of time to actually get everyone on the same page. And talking to Tebow a few times over the course of the year, they just they weren't on that same page yet just because they didn't have people there to be on the same page. So they're going to be good down the road. And look, they're, they're in it for the long haul. But for the short haul, it, it may be a short uh, playoff for them just because they don't have enough time on the court as a team to really have gelled yet. You know, Michelle, one of the people that has been a bit of a disappointment, I would say, on that team has been Christy Tolliver this year. I think they really thought that she was going to come in and be the the consistent scorer and, and, and point guard that L.A. had last year. Uh, but that hasn't been the case. I mean, is there anything in particular that you've seen or jumps out at you about, you know, the way that the Mystics have played and Tolliver and the rest of the group that trying to put it all together? Yeah, I, I do think not to, to harp too much on the injuries, but I just don't think you can talk about them without the injuries. Um, I had a chance to see them in person yesterday in Minneapolis, and it's hard, you know, it maybe doesn't seem fair to compare any team to the teamwork of, of you know, Minnesota because they're, they're so good at it. But I thought yesterday was a, with, you know, just that contrast. Um, Washington hung in there. You know, they could make little runs, but what you said earlier about it sort of being indivi- individuals, like there were sort of individual runs, and then the teamwork, that that cohesive group that Minnesota has when they're at their best, just, you know, just kept basically, you know, okay, we're pushing them back again. Um, I talked to Christy and talked to Elena Delzon after the game. Elena is still hurting, you know, with that dumb. It's, you know, everything she does with it jars it a little bit, and I do think that has some impact on her. They both were sort of like, hey, we need to, you know, reset but, you know, reset everything now because it's, you know, go time. But, you know, maybe you can't overestimate how much it helps Christy. And I don't say this in a negative way toward her at all, but to have as good a season she had last year, she was playing along two players who probably had MVP seasons, one of whom won the MVP in, in Nekuk and McKay, and one of whom probably, you know, could have won it in Candace Parker, and how much that helps us you know, guard doing her job when you have post players who are producing like that. And I think that's just, it's harder. It's, she's in a harder situation um, this year, especially once Taylor Hill went out in, in July. I don't think enough people realize uh, how important Taylor Hill was in the fact that even if you just look down the stretch of a close game, if you've got Tolliver on one side and Hill on the other side, you got to play straight-up defense because those guys can kill you. And, you know, no disrespect to Ivory Latta, but, you know, that's the old Ivory Latta that could do that. Now, you know, you're less likely to – she's less likely to hurt you the way that the that Taylor Hill is. And, and I think that that really has taken something 
away from the schemes that Mike was planning on playing. I mean, he's going, you know, late in the games, he's got either Latta in or Ruffin Pratt, you know, and, and neither are really the shooter, the big shooters that Taylor Hill is. So, yes, I, th- I think that this has been a disappointing year for Washington from the aspect of it just really hasn't been what they had counted on. So, uh, but what I, so, so Doug, you thought that Dallas can come in and pull this one off. Uh, Michelle, do you think that, uh, Washington can move on or do you, can get it straightened or do you think that, uh, Dallas is going to be able to come in and win that game? I'm, I'm in a, I have, I'll pick, um, Dallas to win it. Um, for all the reasons you guys, you know, have mentioned, um, Natasha Cloud's another player, you know, another guard who, really can help Washington when she's in there. And, you know, somebody who's been with Mike for a few years now, and she's been hurt. She's had a hip injury. Mike said yesterday there's a little bit of a chance she might play. But, you know, that's just with both her and Taylor Hill, that took a lot away from the perimeter. We, you know, uh, Emma Mieseman was gone early in the year with, uh, you know, going over to play overseas um, during the season. And Deladon having two stints out, They've just never, you know, like you said, they've never, they've never quite gelled. So I do lean toward uh, Dallas being able to to pull off that win on the road. You guys do realize that if that happens, you're looking at Diana going into New York for a one-game playoff again. No, I think she would go to Connecticut. I think no, not when they reseed. Oh yes, you're right. You're right. Dallas is lower. Dallas is the seven. Yeah, that's right. It would be Dallas. I'm sorry. Yeah. That that's correct. Dallas would go to New, Dallas would go to New York. You know, I, I was getting excited there for a second. I like watching Dallas. I think they're a fun team. I was looking forward to seeing them again. Trust <laughs> me, I think New York was thrilled yesterday when the thing worked out. There's no way they could play Phoenix in a one game series. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. And it's funny because when you look at matchups, you know, uh, I think that Dallas definitely matches up better with against Connecticut than they do against New York. I think New York uh, certainly is, is just too physical to handle them. Uh, I don't want to go into depth of going too far into the playoffs because it doesn't make any sense to with that. But I do want to just talk for a second about two things with New York and Connecticut in particular. Uh, Michelle, Connecticut dropped the last two. They dropped several games down the stretch. There's good ways to lose the last game of the season, and there's bad ways to lose the last game of the season. I thought, for example, Dallas losing the way that they played at New York uh, the other yes, yesterday was a good loss. If they had a chance, there was no big. They proved they could play with them, not a problem. Connecticut, the last two games, getting handled by Phoenix with foul trouble in Connecticut, and then losing, you know, pretty easily to Los Angeles were two bad losses. I thought going into the playoffs. Is this something that Connecticut can turn around? Do you think easily? They're young, you know. Is it? What happens with young teams? Do you think? Does it? Does do they forget easily, or does it? The seed of doubt start to creep in. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that's going to have to do with Kurt. You know, this is where he's, uh, you know, being. I think he's going to be the the coach of the year. I don't. I don't even think that's going to be close. So he'll win it, and this is how he's going to, you know, sort of show uh, how, how does he sort of reset. With a young team, because you're right, it could it could go either way how they look at it. Um, I thought the Phoenix loss was a little bit more disturbing, if you will, than the LA loss, just because right now I think the Sparks are 
we're looking at three teams right now in Minnesota and the Sparks and New York that are really, really going into the postseason on a high. So I guess I didn't fault them as much for for that loss. But, um, yeah, it's going to be – I think Kurt's going to have to be the one who sets the tone on a team um, that is as young as Connecticut is. And, and probably somebody like, um, you know, John Cole Jones. I mean, she's – I mean, She's looking for that, you know, second year. You know, she's probably, um, you know, looking for, for uh, the, the lead from, from the coach and, and how to approach it. You know, Doug, one of the things that I didn't like about the Sun losses was, as you know, they complained as much as anybody about foul calls and stuff. Yet in these two games, I saw a technical from Alyssa Thomas and I saw a technical from John Quell Jones. That's something to me that shows that they're letting the frustration get to them a little too much. You know, I could be open, reading too much into it, but they weren't getting those. They didn't get those during the regular season. Now they're on the road. That's part of it. And they were frustrated with the reps, but you know, they seem to be losing their composure a little bit. Yeah. I actually talked to Kurt last night after the game and I think what he, he spun it and said, I think he's right about this, is that the last couple of weeks has sort of been a, a, pre, a playoff preview just as far as every team had something to play for. And there was more physicality in the games. And his teams weren't really used to that yet. A young team that was sort of able to score 90 points a game without too much trouble because it wasn't as physical. But as we got down the stretch and close to the playoffs and playing playoff teams, games became more physical. So it sort of gave his team a chance to see what they're going to be facing next weekend and are they ready for it? And obviously they weren't the last couple of games, but now they can go back, watch some film, and go, hey, you know what? This is what we're going to have to do to, to advance in the playoffs. We've seen it now. We're not going to be able to score 90 points out of the problem. So let's see what we can do here. And I, I think to me that it's going to help them potentially become a better team, if not this year, but down the road, knowing what it's going to take to win in the playoffs, and that's win physical games. And, yeah, you're right. They complained a little bit too much on calls, but I think it's going to help them in the long run. Changing to the other team that I wanted to ask about, Here, my other theory that I wanted to test with you guys is that the New York Liberty have become the Detroit Shock, and they have taken on Katie Smith and Bill Lambeer, and basically on almost every play, they foul, and they dare the refs to call it. And the refs will only call so many. Am I, am I right or wrong? Doug, you've seen them in person a lot. Um. I mean, they might be a little bit of a stretch they fell on every play, but, I mean, they play physically, They're physical, like the Shock used to do. They are, they all along said, we're going to know where we are in August. We're going to see what kind of team we are, and we'll have a better idea is what Coach Lambeer said in the beginning of the season. Talk to me in August and see where we are. Well, they didn't lose many games in August, so clearly they're in the right direction. I think they're good. They're developed. They, they made it through the injury of Brittany Boyd that kind of changed things a little bit for them early on as far as what they probably plan to do. But everyone's found their role, and that's important to know. I mean, we were talking about before with Washington, everyone not really knowing what they're doing because they don't have the chemistry yet. But New York, everyone knows has a defined role and does it well. And I think it's a couple games for Silver Rodgers to get used to coming off the bench when they made that move. I just think that they're going to be a team that's going to be tough to beat in the playoffs and I think there's a good chance that they may get through a couple rounds because they have good defined roles. They have a star player in Tina Charles, and they have some pretty good complementary players in Epiphany Prince and Javante Zellis um, that can make them, I think, a dangerous team in the playoffs. Michelle, they're not totally like the Shock because they played uh, Deladon's first game back was against 
the liberty and you know if it, if they were the shack, Cheryl Ford would have whacked her in the thumb on the opening tip off <laughs> to see to see what how she re- reacted. So, but uh, Doug's right in the fact that the Liberty are clear are obviously uh, you know the hottest team in the league in terms of wins. But you you raised an interesting comment that I just wanted you to elaborate on a little bit was you know the Sparks are playing as well as you know any team in the league if not the best and Minnesota has been now seems to have righted the ship some too is liberty in their in their slow down grinded out style going to be able to slow down those two teams in the in the flow that they get going uh well i guess that would be that's the that's the same question you probably say the liberty's faced the last few years um, we know they're a defensive minded team and and it's uh, the fact that their identity is what it is that's that's probably what it should be. You know, that's it's a Bill Lambert coach team, and so it, that makes sense. And then the personnel, um, I thought what Doug said really it, it hits the nail on the head, which is everybody knows their roles. And that, it sounds trite, but it's so true about why teams are successful. And you could look at the top three right now and say everybody on those three teams knows what their, their job is and what they're supposed to do, and, and they do it well. Um, I, I guess I still look in terms of, you know, the top, top-level talent um, playing well right now uh, is could make it tougher for the Liberty. And that's not saying they don't have a lot of talent, but um, still when you look at offensive threats, I think you would say overall L.A. and, and Minnesota would have more of those. Um, but one thing, one other thing I just wanted to mention real quick um, with with New York is, Rhea Hartley, you know, her, you know, coming coming in and starting and Sugar, like like Doug said, Sugar than taking that other role, that those things don't always work, you know, when you make a change like that in July or whatever, and that has worked really really well for New York, and it makes you think, hey, this is a team that really understands what they need to do individually to win. Excellent point. You know, Rhea is one of the could, could end up being one of those people that. People always look for, you know, who's going to be their replacement and stuff, but all she does is go out and win, which is what she did at UConn. And, you know, now she, now that she's getting the minutes in New York, you know, here the Liberty are, uh, in, you know, riding high now. So, you know, there, there are players that that's been known to happen to. So, all right, I want to move on real quick just for a few minutes. Uh, you know, the AP has announced their awards and, the WNBA will be announcing theirs soon enough, I'm sure. But, you know, Michelle, first things first, I, I wanted you to, to explain what you did to me quite briefly. The AP does not go for – does not give player positions. So people that were looking at your ballot on ESPN.com and saying, well, wait a minute, the WNBA, all, t- all WNBA team requires positions – uh, what's she doing? You know, she's just blowing it up and ignoring the rules. Can you just tell people about the AP selection instead? Well, I, the way I look at it now, especially with the fluidity of positions, you know, you have people who you really can't, it's hard to define them in a position. They're, you know, it's kind of an old world way of looking at, at how to play. I always look at it, can, you know, with the team that you have could that team actually be on the floor together and maybe people think that it's a stretch to say one true guard but um that's kind of how i look at it and then i also look at it like you know 
the WNBA has its rules. It can say who, you know, this is what you're going to have to do. And AP and ESPN, whatever, we know we can have our rules and say, you know, look, this is who we think deserves to be first team, and this is a team that I think could be on the floor together. And, you know, that that's how I kind of approach it. And I understand if people don't like that or think, oh, that's, you know, cheating or whatever. I mean, it's not like I don't go through any angst when I do it. But ultimately I feel like, if these are the five players, and, you know, usually one of them has to be a guard, right? If these are the five players I really feel like are the, you know, deserved first-team status, that's – I usually, you know, try to make that happen, at least on my, my ballot for AP and, you know, for ESPN. Well, Doug, you know, as the as the purveyor of all things AP and the keeper of the awards, but not a voter, just so people know, so nobody yells at Doug, uh, can you share – you have already released – the MVP awards, and, uh, you know, just in case anybody didn't see it, why don't you just tell everybody who the major awards were, and we'll kick around a couple things. Sure, Dave, no problem. Um, the player of the year for the Associated Press, because you don't like calling him MVP, is Sylvia Fowles, who won in a landslide. Coach of the year, as we talked about before, a great job he's done all season, is Kurt Miller of Connecticut in another landslide. Um, defensive player, Michelle wrote a really nice piece about her about a couple weeks ago, I think, um, as Elena Beard of Los Angeles, um, the Rookie of the Year, which I thought would have been closer, but actually it wasn't as close as I would have thought, is Alicia Gray of um, Dallas. The um, most improved player, which, again, I mean, she's had a heck of a season. She set the single-season rebounding record. Obviously, he's John Quill Jones of Connecticut. Um, the sixth woman was actually the closest award and may be different than how the WNBA um, ballot goes. I think last year was only one award that was different from the AP and the WNBA. Um, so the sixth woman went to Silver Rogers of New York in a, a very, very close uh, ballot edging Renee Montgomery. And last but not least, uh, the AP has the Comeback Player of the Year Award, which I thought is a, just a nice thing. And Epiphany Prince uh, won it beating Daniel Robinson. So that was the, the AP Awards for the year. Very good. Now, let's talk about, let's start with Rookie of the Year there, because that's the one that got interesting at the end as Brittany Sykes put up huge numbers coming down the stretch while Alicia Gray was consistent through the whole year. Now, you said that that was not particularly close in the voting. You know, honestly, as well as Sykes played down the stretch, I didn't think there was really much of a contest there. I thought that Alicia Gray started for a playoff team the entire season and scored in, and scored in double figures, you know, that she was the rookie of the year, in my opinion. Uh, so it seems like people agreed with me, huh? Yeah, they did. I mean, it was – she got 11 of the 15 votes. Um, Michelle voted for us to talk about why she thought Gray deserved it over Sykes. Sykes had a nice stretch in the end of the season, but Gray was consistent throughout the year, is my opinion. It's, well, it doesn't vote, but that's what, if I had a vote, I would have thought that way. So, Michelle, was that what your thoughts were, that it was just a, over the course of the entire season, Gray would, contributed more? Yeah, I thought exactly from, and this is nothing, you know, I thought Britney Sykes really came on strong and actually made me think about it. You know, it was like there's a point in the year where I thought Alicia Gray's you know, the only one I'm really seeing to get this award. So it, she did make it a race, I think, at, at the end, but it was the consistency from the beginning. And, and I think Alicia Gray played really well, uh, you know, especially for a rookie on both sides of the ball for a young team. It's not like there are a lot of, you know, veterans on that team, um, 
she had to sort of step into almost a bit of a veteran role even as a young player, and I thought she just picked up right where she left off with, uh, you know, winning the national championship with South Carolina. And uh, Michelle, as a voter, is that something that you, you know, I had mentioned that they were, you know, they were the playoff team. You know, part of what had me feeling the way I did about Sykes was the fact that while she was putting up these big numbers, Atlanta was still losing. Uh, as a voter, playing on a winning team has how much impact in who you look at and, you know, if there's a close call between somebody whose team wasn't successful and somebody's team that was. Yeah, I think that's just that, David. It's it's a tiebreaker. You know, you you can look at stats sometimes, and people can look a lot alike. It's hard sometimes. I'm not saying that was definitely the case in this, although they did look pretty much alike. If you look at their final stats, they're they're fairly similar. And I just think the success of the team ends up being one of those tiebreaker uh, things that that you end up going toward because you have to pick. You know, you have to pick somebody. So that's just one you know one thing you can look at. Now, I know we need to wrap this up because Doug has to get going to a fantasy football draft. Uh, so we're just in, we're going to cut it kind of short here. And, you know, Doug, is there anything else in those awards or the candidates or anything that jumped out at you that you'd like to point out or comment on? Uh, it, like you said, they seem to be pretty – I thought they were pretty straightforward. I think you'll see some good discussions when the votes for the all-WNBA team were, are all tabulated. But out of the main awards, I thought they were pretty straightforward. Yeah, I mean, I think the one, as I mentioned a little bit, the sixth woman award, I think, is the one that is a more wide open field than the other ones. The other ones, pretty much people know who they're going to vote for. But I think the sixth woman, if you look at it, you, the top three were Sugar Rogers, Renee Montgomery, and Odyssey Sims. And all three of those have been starting at some point. I mean, Renee, because Whalen's hurt, Sims got put in the starting lineup. And Sugar was in the starting lineup but got um, put in as the sixth man midway through the season. So I think that that's sort of a wide-open award. And we talked before we got on air, so to speak, about how in the past there was a clear-cut winner. I mean, you had Quigley last year. You had other people before that who you knew there was a sixth woman. I think this year was more wide open, and I think it's going to be interesting to see in the WNBA awards who people vote for. I mean, the rest of them, I think, were pretty much determined. And I mean, I said they weren't close in the voting, whereas that one, I think, is going to be – something that could go the other way in the WNBA awards. Michelle, same question to you. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to talk about about these awards? To me, you know, the biggest question is going to be when they when the WNBA releases theirs by team, you know, somebody's going to lose between Brittany Griner, John Quell Jones, and, you know, figure fouls has to be first team. So, you know, there's only two teams they name, and there's two centers to fit in those holes. So, that's that's a flaw, a flaw with the WNBA system. Anything else that you would like to uh, to comment on regarding the postseason awards and voting? Yeah, I think I think that's what makes it. That's one of the things that makes it hard. And and we're looking at with the league, um, you know, at least for the last few years, for sure, last year and this year, and you can go back further than that. The star players are mostly the post players. You know, they're they're your you know, forwards and centers, and this isn't saying the league, you know, the league's guards are subpar, but just if you're looking at stars, it's usually post players. And so um, when you have a situation like this year where you had, um, you know, like you said, three players that you really think should be first team um, or first and second team center and you're having to leave one of them out, um, that that's really difficult. And then you start looking at tiebreakers like, 
you know, how many games they played, things that I don't feel really comfortable with, but I end up making those decisions, and then I feel like, gosh, I wish I, wish I wouldn't have had to make that decision, but, you know, you kind of have to. Yeah, I mean, you know, you look in the awards and miss games. You know, I thought I was thinking about how all these games that Griner and Deladon missed and how that fits into it. But if you look, they played in 75% of their team's games. I mean, that's not bad. <laughs> so, you know, it, it is a tough decision. But you know, anyway, it is time to start the playoffs, and I'm looking forward to reading all of the stories that you guys have coming up about these games coming and also, of course, the postseason awards. But especially I want to thank you guys for taking time once again to be on Vision and Swish, and I always have a great time talking to both of you. Doug, enjoy uh, enjoy, and make sure you get good players on your football team. And, Michelle, enjoy the rest of the day. Hopefully you've got something, you've got a cookout or something good going on today. <laughs> uh, no, I'll just be working on, on coffee, but that's okay. It's that time of the year. You know, what do you do? Do you throw tofu on the grill, or how does that work? <laughs> no, no, I'm not much of a grill person. I'm not really a foodie. I just eat to survive, <laughs> is what I do. So, okay, I think I eat enough for both of us. So, <laughs> enjoy again. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you.